Welcome back to Straight from the Source. This is Michael Russo. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. My guest today, Doug McLean, one of my favorite people, uh, the original president and GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets, eventually their coach as well. As you know, if you've listened to this podcast lately, I've tried to make this sort of a 20-year celebration of the Minnesota Wild. Well, we're going to get their original president and GM of the Expansion Cousins, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. We'll talk about that 2000 expansion draft, the NHL entry draft. And yes, we'll talk about the Florida Panthers. So my first three years covering the NHL, was Doug McLean's first three years as a coach in the NHL. He was so blessed and lucky to have me there. He'll say that he'll, he taught me the game and all that type of stuff, and he'll give me a lot of crap, but, uh, but uh, we, we were blessed to have each other, and here we are 26 years later, uh, still involved with hockey, so that's really fun. Um, let's see, where should we start talking about the Minnesota Wild of the last week? Um, let's start on the positive, uh, because we'll get to the negative before we get to Doug here, but uh, Wild sign Matt Boldy. Uh, they agreed to terms on Tuesday, signed him officially on Wednesday. His press conference was on Wednesday. Uh, so the Boston College sophomore, their leading scorer, their USA hockey gold medal winning world championship hero, Matt Boldy, is in the fold. And the biggest uh, thing that happened with that is the Wild sort of changed their path. That's how much they wanted to get him in fold originally. Uh, the Wild did not want to burn the first year of the deal. They wanted to start the year, uh, the contract next season and start him on an amateur tryout in Iowa this season. But uh, with Cole Caulfield signing and burning a year and and basically, you know, the, the ability for Matt Boldy to return to college, uh, you know, that was that was sort of his leverage. He wanted to get started and Bill Guerin uh, finally, finally relented there. It's not the biggest deal. The, the biggest thing it does is really just start his waiver clock at age 19. What, what, the one big reason why the Wild wanted to, you know, push it off a year is they, they're trying to do it, I think, where a lot of these guys' second contracts or beyond are sort of when some money comes off the book, uh, books, namely Parisian Suter. Uh, they don't want a situation like this summer here uh, where they have got just tons of big contracts to resign Caprisa, Fiala, Erickson Eck, Hartman. Uh, they want to re-sign Ian Cole. So I think they want to take some of their entry-level guys and, and spread them out a bit. So I think they wanted to sort of push uh, uh, Matt Boldy off a year. But they'll get him started now. They'll start him in Iowa. Uh, one big reason for that, uh, you know, the Wild could say all they want about, and it might be true, that, that he needs to start in Iowa, pay his dues, uh, learn the pro game, and things like that. The Wild don't have the cap space to put him on the roster right now. They need to accrue some more or maybe at some point put a Victor Rask on waivers or um, – which they only have about 12 more days to do that uh, because you have to do that by the trade deadline or they've got to make a trade if they're going to want to uh, bring up Matt Boldy or, you know, potentially they could accrue some space here and and uh, and and get up here at some point. Remember, there is no salary cap in the playoffs. So regardless, if for some reason he doesn't make his NHL debut in the regular season, uh, they will be able to bring him up for the playoffs if they so uh, choose a lot. As Bill Guerin said yesterday, will be up to Matt Boldy and how he performs down in the minors. We talked to Matt yesterday. He's extremely confident, believes that he's going to be able to go down there and, and strut his stuff and do some of the things that he did uh, during uh, his last uh, college year and the second half of last season. Uh, Frozen Four is going to be fun. Uh, we got uh, UMass versus UMD, Minnesota State versus St. Cloud State. So three Minnesota-based schools. You'll see three wild prospects in the tournament. And Nick uh, Sweeney, Sam Henchkiss, 
And Philip Lindbergh, the uh, sort of undersized goaltender for uh, UMass that has just been really good, has really, uh, you, um, you know, rotated in goal that all year for them. And, uh, you know, potentially could give the Wild a future uh, in goal because obviously they have Capo Kakinen up here. But Hunter Jones has gotten off to a real rough start uh, with his professional debut down in Iowa. And then they have Derek Barabo, who I don't think uh, the Wild would consider a true, true prospect. We'll see. Maybe he could surprise a lot of us. As for the Wild, they're not playing well. Uh, you know, luckily for them, they were able to sort of, I don't want to say steal three home victories on the last homestand, but they didn't play well in any of those games. And they somehow won. I mean, remember the last game against St. Louis, they were outshot 37-11, but Cam Talbot was outstanding. But then they go to San Jose, and they're outshot yet again. They ha- they blow two one-goal leads in the first game of a two-game set, have to rally back to force overtime, then have one of the worst overtimes that we've ever seen. Well, we- usually, actually, in the past, we've seen overtimes end on the first shot. So uh, we've seen one of the worst five-minute overtimes that we've ever seen the Wild play, where they lost six of seven draws and was chasing the puck the entire overtime time and then lost an eight round shootout. So that was a disappointing first game. And then their response yesterday, not good. They were sloppy again, didn't play well. And now they're 0-4-1 in their last five games on the road heading into tonight's game at Vegas, a second of a back-to-back. That'll be a tough game that I assume Cam Talbot will be in net after Capo Kakinen was in net uh, last night in San Jose. But the team's not playing well. They, they're they just sloppy. They're loose. They're not. They're avoiding shots. Last night, Matt Zuccarello and Kirill Kaprizov were broken up. In the third period, we saw Kaprizov play with Fiala, Zuccarello play with Johansson. Uh, but the overarching issue here that's the elephant in the room, it's not even the elephant in the room, we all know it, is that it's their center play. I mean, their top two centers right now are, are Rask and Hartman. Hartman's a great player, but you know he's. He, I don't know if anybody would consider him a top six center since he was playing wing for most of his career. And Victor Rask, as I've said on my other podcast a gazillion times, should not be on the top line. I don't want to take anything away from him because he's had, you know, he's produced a bit this year. But but you put him on that top line with Kaprizov and Zuccarello, and they're just uh, they're they're essentially a two man show because Rask can't keep up and just is not fit for that role. So. That's the elephant in the room. I don't know if we're going to see Bill Guerin make some trades here. I do think that the, if the cost is everything, and you know, even though he has alluded that he doesn't want to add a rental before the April 12th deadline, I think at, if you could somehow get a center in here to alleviate some pressure, it would be just huge for this franchise, especially one that can win draws for the second worst faceoff team in the NHL. Uh, you know, Luke Glenn Denning is the guy that I would target with the Detroit Red Wings. I joked with somebody on Twitter recently. I'm like, yeah, the Wilds should go after him because they're tripping over third line centers. But the reality is, the guy's a 65% faceoff guy. And if, uh, you know, late in games, they're always having to use Nick Benino in these situations that I think at this point in his career, he's not suited for. And then he's in turn not winning that big draw like he did three times in overtime the other day where he was 0 for 3. Well, then, you know, you can't put him in those situations. I mean, maybe you have to go out and at least see what a, a Glenn Denning would cost. So I'm sure Bill Guerin's looking at that stuff and just not, you know, alluding to it publicly, but that's uh, sort of where they're at uh, going into tonight's uh, tough game in Vegas and Saturday's game in Vegas. Then they come back for a a tough homestand against the Colorado Avalanche, who just uh, broke them in half, two games in Colorado, and then they go to St. Louis for two, which I'll be on that trip as well. But without further ado, get ready for one of the greatest media superstars in the history of this sport, Doug McClain. 
And without further ado, as I just mentioned, uh, very happy to be joined by Doug McLean, now a media superstar, co-host of Real Kipper at Noon, which you could find, uh, just follow them on social media, you could find on YouTube and anywhere you get your podcast, uh, very popular podcast. Uh, 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 podcast, Doug, and and you know, not a shock because you were so popular when you were on Sportsnet as well. Like I retired to get out of this foolishness. Like seriously, I you know, no t- no TV star or media star. What it is, it's a retired filler is what I am. When people can't get a guest, I fill in. Kipper, I'm just trying to save his ass because he's he needs help. So that, yeah. basically, that's all it is. You get double the you get double the viewers and listeners if you just booted Kipper, right? Oh man, I know, but I, you know what? He's a friend, and I'm trying to help him. <laughs> we do, you know. I got to tell you, I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three days a week. We do the show, and it's 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 during my lunch hour, so it doesn't affect my golf <laughs> in the morning. It doesn't affect my pool and beach in the afternoon, and you know my evenings. The only problem with the damn show is I got to watch games at night. That's the only yeah. downside of this whole thing, which was one thing I was really looking forward to in retirement that I didn't have to watch a lot of hockey. But but here I am doing a little bit anyway. And you're still down in Delray Beach, right? Yeah, we live in Delray. We, we you know, we come down here usually uh November, early November and uh and we head back usually to Prince Edward Island uh you know, mid to late May. So it's, it's a great combination for us. Yeah. I remember, uh, you, you used to come down there a lot during the off season as well. And I'd get together with you once in a while down on Atlantic Avenue down there. Um, and as, as, if people don't know, I've known Doug for, uh, for 26 years. This is, we, I know this is sometimes a Minnesota wild podcast and we're going to talk about the 2000 expansion draft and entry draft. Doug was the, uh, president and, uh, GM first one for the Columbus Blue Jackets. But uh, I've known Doug for a long, long time. My first year, three years covering the NHL was your first three years as a coach. And that first year, Doug, you taught me everything I know, and you took the team to the Stanley Cup final. So that was uh, fun for both of us. Well, it's it's amazing how fast a learner you were because <laughs> partway through that first year, you became a friggin' expert. You know, like, and I mean, <laughs> the same as you know, the same as the rest of your buddies down there, David Neal, and you know, and and who's our good friend that was the West Palm Beach, uh, uh, Brian Begain, the Palm Beach Post writer. So Brian Begain, he writes an article in the in the uh, Delray Coastal <laughs> Island Coastal Magazine here. And he's got this, so he does this feature called Meet Your Neighbor. And <laughs> it's by Brian Begain. And it's the first time I've seen his name in a few years. So, you know, he, Brian, those were, you guys were, were great guys, a little bit of know it alls, but really <laughs> good guys. Then I got involved with those clowns in Columbus and it went to a whole nother level up there with Portsline and A Race. So you guys were a treat <laughs> compared to those guys. Oh man, it's so funny. Uh it was it was really I mean, you think about those days though, Doug. I mean, it, how different that league was. You walk into Gold Coast Ice Arena and as a beat writer, I would I would walk in the side door, walk through the team gym. Walk right by your office, Brian Murray's office, Dwayne yeah. Sutter, Lindy Ruff's office. Yeah. Walk right by the locker room, and then just through your little hallway and get to the ice. Like we had complete access of this uh, of the team. Yeah, it was it was a different time, you know. Like I'll never forget the first time I went into the. I was hired by the Panthers a year before I started to coach as player development. I remember going down, 
and walking into the dressing room. And here's Roger Nielsen, uh, you know, poor Roger passed on us, but a, a hockey legend. And uh, I meet Roger Nielsen in the Florida Panthers dressing room. And he's got a New York Rangers t-shirt on. And I'm thinking like, who does that? Who? You're the coach of the Florida Panthers and you got a New York Ranger t-shirt on. Like, I mean, and then it happened to me when I was with uh, Columbus. We're in Calgary on our first road trip. And I'm down having a coffee. Typical, I couldn't sleep because of what was going on. I'm down in the lobby having a Starbucks at the Marriott in Calgary. Dave King, first-year coach, comes out down through the lobby to go for his jog, and he's got a Montreal Canadian sweatsuit on. And I said, Dave, you're the coach of the Blue Jackets. Don't, you know, can't you wear our, our stuff? You know, do you, have to, do you have to wear your old team? Like, how bad is it? But today, you'd never dream of that, you know? It's kind of no. funny. Kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it is funny. So when Dwayne Sutter, uh, who who again was your assistant down in in uh, Florida, and then he 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 stayed on, and he actually re- stayed on with Terry Murray eventually as well. When Dwayne took over for Terry as the as the interim coach, I covered the Stanley the All Star game. I, this must have been like two thousand one. 2001 or 2003, I guess. Now it would have been 2001. So I covered the Oster game in Denver, and part of the media gift is that they give you an Oster game hat. And remember, the logo for every Oster game is essentially a, a mesh of the same colors yeah. and a mesh of the actual, like, say, Colorado Avalanche uh, uh, logo because it's in Denver. So the first game after the Oster game, I'm uh, you could almost fact check this. I'm in Edmonton. I go to the glass. I'm wearing this hat, and Dwayne Sutter sprints up to me and starts yelling at me that I'm wearing a Colorado Avalanche hat, the team that beat them in the Stanley Cup final like six years <laughs> earlier. And I'm like, looking, I'm like, I'm not wearing an Avalanche hat. I'm wearing the freaking All-Star game hat. <laughs> Boys were intense. You know, it's funny. Yeah. Him, he and Lindy Ruff, I mean, I go, we go back. What a, what a staff. Yep. When you think about that staff, you say Lindy Ruff went on to have a, a great career. Dwayne's been a lifer in the league. Billy Smith was our goalie coach. And I'll never forget Billy. Um, he was negotiating a new contract with Brian Murray. And one of the goalie coaches' main jobs is on on the more the pregame skate. You work with the goalie who's not playing. You have some time, free time to work with him. You know. So Billy was negotiating his deal with Brian, and Brian says, "Like seriously, he wants it in his contract." that he doesn't have to come in t- in for the morning skates because he wants to play golf. <laughs> and I said, what assistant coach wants in his contract that he's not coming to the morning skate? And I thought, oh, my God, this is getting out of control. But we had a, we had a good group of guys, man. They were great. Yeah, it was, I mean, first of all, as a young hockey writer, you go there and you're, you're the coach and it's a different time again. Like we didn't, you didn't have press scrums like behind a yeah. backdrop back then. I mean, yeah. we used to sit after practice in your office, like a baseball clubhouse yeah. where you sit in the manager's office. We used to sit in there and uh, and you would just shoot the breeze with us sitting behind your desk, your feet up. Yeah. And it was just, I mean, it was, it was a great time. But then you think about, so I'm a young hockey writer. I grew up an Islander fan. You have uh, Denny Potvin as the color analyst, Billy Smith and Dwayne Sutter. Dwayne Sutter was my favorite player as a kid. You have Bill Torrey as the president of the team. It was just an absolute dream. And then you look at the players that you had on that team, Doug. I mean, a lot of them are still in hockey. I see Scott Mellenby every day at XL Energy Center. Tom Fitzgerald is the is the GM of the New Jersey Devils. So many guys are still either in TV, coaching, media. 
the Dave Lowry's, the Gord Murphy's of the world, yeah. and people like that. But, but you know what? It really speaks volumes. We always talked about that team, and I saw somebody, Larry Brooks or somebody, giving us a shot that you know the only reason we got there was clutch and grab. And I, I say to people like, no, 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 that that wasn't right. You know, there's a game against Pittsburgh, a must win. We had to win in the conference final. And I'm not sure if it was 64 or 65 shots we had on goal in that game. I mean, we yeah. took it to the Penguins, offensively, defensively, physical, you know. And the character of that group was what it was all about. And and the character is shone through of those guys because they've all done really well in life. Most of them have done exceptionally well, mm-hmm. whether it's in hockey, out of hockey, just just in general, you know, and and that speaks volumes about that group of guys. They were they were special. I'm telling you, they really were. Yeah, and again, I mean, I know we're talking like the you know all back in the old days, but it, it's just it, even the beat writers with the players and the bond that you create. Like I, I you know, I'm still in touch with all these guys, mm-hmm. and it's like you know, long lost buddies. When you talk to guys like Stu Barnes and right. and even Jovo, I just saw down in Florida, or Billy Lindsay and Lowry and Mellenby and Murphy and, and Niedermar. And it was just it was a great, great group of of, of guys. We, we did make a few mistakes with that. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget Clark. Clark, my son, who's an agent now in Chicago, yep. and and, he, and it was pretty funny. He was a big hockey fan. He was, I think, eight or nine at the time. We traded Stu Barnes. Mm-hmm. And and we're driving. I'm driving home, and I phone him. I'm phoning him in the car, and I said, hey, uh, we traded Stu Barnes. And he says, he was eight. And he said, are you guys idiots? <laughs> <laughs> that's what an eight-year-old said and i'll never forget making that trade and i remember brian saying to me well we're getting this big sentiment chris wells and i get on the phone with the scouts and i'm saying like tell me about this chris Wells." and they said oh wayne meyer says to me don't worry he'll be your captain someday doug so then i meet i meet wayne a year or two later after i'm fired and i said wayne you, you mentioned chris wells was going to be my captain <laughs> You must have thought I was going to be coaching the East Coast League, did you, or what? <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously. What the hell were we thinking? I mean, I remember just, like, oh my they God. said he was going to be the next Doug Waite. Oh, my God. Oh that my was God. the quote. He was going to be the next Doug Waite. Yeah. And I remember your buddy, Chuck Fletcher, he thought that him, all him and Brian could ever talk about was how small we were down the middle, how small we were. Niedemeyer was the big horse. You know, 27, 28 goals, played unbelievable for us. Screwy was there, and then it went to Stewie Barnes, who all, all he did is get 30 goals a year and, and scored some of the most important goals in franchise history. I mean, are you guys out of your frickin' minds? Anyway, lots of fun. Yeah. No, that and that really, I mean, you look at from that point on, it absolutely derailed the franchise. I mean, heck, they haven't won a playoff round since, uh, since you were the coach. Seriously. I mean, just think about that. That's hard to believe. Honestly, Doug. Yeah. They have not won a playoff round since you coached them 20, what now would have been uh, 23 years ago when you left. You know, it's kind of, not- I, I, it's great to be in the record book as the leading all-time playoff winning coach. <laughs> and you coached their lat from 90, 95 to 90. I mean, how 
embarrassing is that? But, uh, you know, it's just, it, uh, let's hope it gets turned. Surely to God, I mean, I was making 450 a year coaching them. Surely to God, with Quendell making 6 million, he can get a couple of wins here. Like, seriously, <laughs> give me a freaking break. But anyway, that, uh, I'll never forget that. I, I'm sure I told you this story. They had the big thing in the paper. They did this big story on the four coaches in South Florida, and it was, uh, Jim Leland with the uh, with yep. make, making one point six million, and Pat Riley was making two million with the Heat, and Jimmy Johnson was making two million with the uh, uh, with the Dolphins, and they've got me at four fifty in the paper. And Clark came home from <laughs> school, and he was devastated because the kids were teasing him about how poor we were. <laughs> these guys were making all the money, and I was only making four fifty a year. I thought I had hit Painter. I was only making a hundred the year before as an assistant in Detroit. So I think, oh my God, I'm rich. Anyway. And that's when Clark, yeah, that's when Clark decided out, you know what? I think I'm gonna be an agent one day. <laughs> Help me out. Unbelievable. Anyway. I still remember Clark running around that locker room, little redhead kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, how old would he have been back then? He was like probably seven, eight, nine during that during that run. And then then we moved to Columbus and he comes home from school. The first day he comes home after I got the job in Columbus. And he said, Dad, hockey's not going to work here. They hate hockey here. <laughs> he said, it's just, they just love football. They hate hockey here. And I said, oh, Jesus, that's all I need to hear. Anyway, <laughs> we had fun. So he, he's always loved it. But even like Adam Lowry's young fellas, Adam yes. Lowry was running around that dressing room in those yeah. days. Connor Murphy. I know. Connor Murphy. I know. Sam Gagne. Kind of funny, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think of, uh, you know, uh, like uh, Brody Sutter was running around yeah, there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, the amount of players, all the Fitzy kids, I mean, I the, the amount of kids that are now that I cover. I, I talk to Len Berry's uh, uh, son all the time about that. Like, yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just, it's crazy how many, that's when you know you're old, when you're a beat writer and they're, they're sons of kids that you covered that have been in the league for like 10 years at this point. Like oh, Lowry's been around forever. Connor Murphy as well. It's hilarious. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, well, the, uh, you, I was watching, I was thinking about you the other day, Doug, which is what made me probably text you to, to come on the podcast. I was watching a documentary called The Last Blockbuster. And um, it's about this blockbuster in uh, Bend, Oregon, which is the last blockbuster I ever I existed. Watched it. I watched it. Yeah. And they can't, you know what drove me nuts in that podcast? It's a podcast about the last blockbuster. And they couldn't even pronounce Wayne Heisinger's name right throughout the entire <laughs> podcast like the entire sorry i keep on saying podcast documentary yeah it was a document i mean like that, that just drove me nuts and wayne heisig was the original owner of the florida panthers with his wife that used to sit right behind the glass there at uh, miami arena yeah and hated me <laughs> <laughs> i swore because i swore too much yep i do remember that uh that was the whole year of the rat uh but man, you know fun time let me give you a Wayne Izinga story. When, when, after, when they took the uh, Boca Resorts and all that public and the Panthers went public, if you recall that. Yep. And I negotiated a new contract. I got 40,000 shares in the, in the Panthers. It was part of my contract. And, and uh, so what it was was 10,000 a year you got vested. So Anyway, I got fired after two years of it, and I had twenty thousand shares, and I and I sold them, so I lost twenty thousand shares. Well, probably seven or eight years later, I get a call from Bill Tory asking me for my address, and I'm, this is like I say, eight or so years later. 
I get a call, ask him for my address in Columbus. So I give it to Bill and we shoot the breeze a little bit. That was fine. Never thought anything of it. About a week later, I get a check. They had disbanded the, uh, you know, the whole Boca Resort uh, thing. It, they shut it down, basically. I mean, they took it away from being public. So they were finishing up the books. And, of course, I had lost out on 20,000 shares. And Wayne Izinga said, hey, I want you to send him a check. He missed out on some money. I get a check for 103000 comes in the mail wow. from Wayne Izinga. It had to be six years after I coached the Panthers. Like, I'm thinking, I hadn't talked to him since. And I sent him a letter saying, hey, uh, I can't believe you did that. Like, I mean, that's unbelievable. There was no reason to do it. And all he sent me back was, no, just, no problem, Doug. You deserved it. Thanks, Wayne. Wow. That's last that's awesome. So, it, I mean, it was you know what? He was a pretty, uh, he was a pretty impressive guy. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about Wayne Heisinger, um, and he just passed away fairly recently. Um, is somebody asked me on a recent podcast, if I've ever been like super nervous interviewing people and this just popped in my head, I should have brought up Wayne. I really only, and it's funny because I, I have a really good relationship with Craig Leopold, very accessible, all this stuff, but Wayne Heisinger, I like interviewed in person once, oh, just yeah. one to one-on-one, just once in my entire 10 years there. Yeah. We sat in a boardroom. I wanted to do a big story on the commitment that they made signing uh, Pavel Bure to a $58 million contract. Right. And so he sat down with me and he sat on the other end of this giant board table <laughs> with like three handlers on either side of him with those piercing blue eyes. And I and I had been a sports writer for a while at this point, at least five, I mean, I was a sports writer for 10 years, but covered the Panthers for five or six. And honestly, I was so intimidated just even staring at him. Yeah. It was just like, it was like one of these things. I'm like, I'm talking to the CEO of Blockbuster of Waste Management of the Boca Resorts of the Florida Panthers. And I just could not get over it. And he's not, he wasn't, at least with me, as personable as like, you know, Craig Leopold. He's like yeah. an everyman. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the type of guy you could have a beer with. Wayne, I was just freaking out. I know. He, he was an intimidating guy. And I, I'll never forget, you know, the, the being around, but the little things he used to do, like, you know, we won the Stanley Cup and we're getting the team picture. And he said to me, when are you, uh, when are you flying back to PEI? And I said, well, we're the family. We're all flying back, you know, tomorrow and for the summer. He said, oh, you are. And I said, yeah. He, I said, yeah, we got our tickets. He said, uh, be at the airport tomorrow morning, 930. My private jet's going to fly you and the family up to PEI. Wow. I mean, like, and then what he does, which is so bizarre, this was after the Stanley Cup run, he sends Greg Boris, who was our member of communications yep. guy, up to PEI, and he brings 500 t-shirts, 500 hats, and I get off wow. the plane, and there's a friggin' parade and <laughs> that they had worked out, and Wayne had sent Boris and all this stuff up there to do this. Like, it was wow. just, it was the same thing. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, the fame uh, Dan Lebetard did a, a column yep. in the uh, in the uh, Miami Herald on Mom and Dad. He flew up and, and watched a game with Mom and Dad during the Stanley Cup run, and they were mm -hmm. when we'd score, they were throwing socks at the TV, you know, <laughs> instead of the rats, you know, they would just have socks they're throwing them at the TV, and it was kind of bizarre. Next week, a, a box of uh, rats arrive at uh, FedEx from Wayne Azinga to mom and dad. You know, like it was just how how does yeah. the guy that owns the Dolphins and Marlins, you know, the Panthers think of things like that? You know, it's pretty, pretty bizarre. Anyway, he, he was a good man.
Yeah, he was. And what man, that's a really cool story. Like I didn't even realize how generous he was. I still remember your mom, by the way. What a sweet lady. Yeah, she's um, a lady. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. What a what a time to those years. I mean, I remember walking like Miami Arena is in the middle of Overtown in downtown Miami. Not exactly a place that you want to walk at night. We used to get have to get after games uh you know, uh, essentially escorted to our car as media people because we were leaving at like 12.30, 1am, especially during that finals run. But but that year of the rat, when you're walking into the arena and you have people that are that are trying to, you know, uh, uh, what uh, scalpers out there, not selling tickets to the to the playoff run, but rats. They, they, remember Eckerd, the, the, gross, the drugstore Eckerd yeah. oh, down yeah. there? You, you couldn't, like, you go into these places and you'd want to buy a rat. They were just off the shelves. Like, uh, it was just, uh, what, what a time. So I was, I was driving an 87 Volvo that year. Eh? I was, when I, when I got the job, <laughs> I, I, you know, it was, I thought it was a you know, 87 Volvo. It was 96. It was 10-year-old car. So they told me, they warned me, when you're coming to the Miami Marina, when you get within a couple blocks, do not stop at lights or stop something. Yeah. Co- coast through. So I got there. Yep. There's this guy, homeless guy on the side of the street, and I hit my the power locks, you know, when I, and he looks at me and he yells. He said, I wouldn't even steal that one. Don't worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> so then we make the playoffs, okay, that year, and I've got the 87 Volvo, and I'm driving. I you know, so we win and we make the playoffs and I get a $10,000 bonus for making the playoffs. So I'm driving home with Jill and I say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm buying a new BMW. I'm buying a new BMW. I, there was a, so there was a BMW three series at the Pompano park. The next day, of course, my, yeah. my good friend, Jeff Rimmer, who has deals with every car person in the world. <laughs> and I never want to use his name because he always rips them off so bad and he's so damn cheap when he's dealing with them. Then I, you know, they say, oh no, it's not another Rimmer coming in. So anyway, I get this BMW. <laughs> and next week I'm driving down to the practice and I stop at a stoplight. I got the, you know, I'm just sitting there and the guy says, Are you the coach of the Panthers? And I said, Yeah, yeah, I'm the coach of the Panthers. He said, I can't believe you're driving only a three series. <laughs> so I thought I had this great car. The guy rips me for having only a three series. So that's well, the, your pre- those your predecessor as a coach used to drive to practice on a bicycle, and he was once hit by a car. Oh, I know, Nielsen, poor so. Roger. Yeah, I yeah, I know. Um, that was funny. That- yeah, that that was just again another example of how different the time was. Like the beat writers would park like you know in the same parking lot as the players to yeah. walk into practice so yeah. you know i'd show up at practice park and almost like run over brian scrudlin or something it was just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it was just it, what a weird weird time yeah oh man i could just imagine like if i was um you know like like i like to pride myself on breaking stories now like i if i like had my experience now back then and with all that incredible access that we used to get and just like the you know because a lot of this job when you break stories is just reporter instinct it's also keeping your eyes open your ears open and things like that and like if like walking around that place and having like the run of the 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 headquarters essentially uh, would have been just absolutely golden uh back in those days let me uh, let me you're writing a book aren't you well i started i did a book on I was hired by Simon and Schuster to do a, a, a book on the draft. And I, so I got a call. I, I'd written nine chapters of it. Scott Morrison was writing it with me. And then mm-hmm. I got a call in August that they're just going to stall it for a year because the first chapter of the book was going to be the historic draft in Montreal. 
that where mm. the draft was supposed to be this past June. Right. And with it canceled and with the virtual, we just decided they just decided to put a hold on it for a year. They paid me a third of the money. I wish they'd just uh, forget about it and move on. <laughs> I'm serious, Mike. It was one of the biggest headaches. Oh. Like, I'm serious. I worked yeah. my ass off on that. And the, so I've got nine chapters done with, you know, Scott and I. I would write like five or 6,000 words, and I'm not a writer. And then Scott and I would go through them on the phone. But I, it was kind of cool to go through, you know, a little bit of history of the draft. And then, you know, I did a, a, some chapters on my time in Columbus, you know, the drafts that were, you know, that I get written for and the rationale, you know, and the way it works. <laughs> so it, it was kind of fun to do it. But now it's on whole. So I, we're supposed to start up now in the, you know, any time re to finish it, but we'll see because again, we don't, we don't know where the the draft is going to be another virtual draft. I'm sure, you know? Yeah. No, well, yeah, I think this July will definitely be, and hopefully yeah. we get back to normal here yeah. very, very soon. Um, let's do this. Let's take a, a quick break, Doug. And when I come back, I do want to talk to you about the uh, early 2000 expansion draft and entry draft that you had with your uh, Minnesota Wild. And um, and uh, and I also want to talk to you about today's uh, NHL and some potential moves that we could see coming up to the trade deadline and things like that. But let's take a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Doug, I got a really funny Twitter question from one of my uh, from one of my uh, editors named Mark Wallman. He was actually my editor at the Star Tribune, and then we hired him at the Athletic, and now he's our NHL Enterprise uh, editor. But he he wanted me to ask you if you have any regrets teaching me about hockey. <laughs> no, I really chuckle about it though, because you were you were a stiff, and I and. <laughs> And now I see, now I see, but it's like Friedman and all of you guys, like you're a bunch of stiffs and all of a sudden you become experts. Like it's so, <laughs> it's, and I'm going to sit and think, oh, Mike Russo said this. So, you know, and Elliot Friedman has got to be true. And I'm thinking, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> but anyway, I get a kick. I'm, I'm joking. I, I'm proud of you guys. I really am. You know, it's a, it's a tough, it's not an easy job. I know that, you know. Yeah, the the old joke, the old joke though, Doug, is that you uh, that you taught me uh, that I didn't know offsides. You taught me icing, what a blue line was. Oh my, that was well, that I, was I, pretty raw. There's no doubt about it. Well, I used to have to show you. I had the big blackboard there, and I said, "Okay, Mike, the puck has to go over the blue line before <laughs> the players." You know, it's it's and this icing, this this is, and it's called icing. You know, it's like, oh my god, <laughs> talk about. And I, who was there before you? It would have been Mike uh, Mayo? well, Dave Joseph, Mike Mayo, it was D- Mike Mayo, Dave Joseph, Ray Murray would yeah. have been the beat writers before. Yeah, me, they were they were yeah. all they were all actually great guys. And then the girl was Joseph. There. What was the girl that became- uh, Karen Krause? Yep, she yeah, was at Karen, the New York Times. Yeah, but yep. Karen was there. But there was also the other girl that was used to come in for features, and she he, she's the famous NBA uh, writer now. Oh yeah, Rachel Alexander, which is now Rachel Nichols. That's right. So You're right. Yeah. So Rachel used to come in and do the odd interview. So yep. but they were they were good people. They were good. Yeah. People. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was uh, absolutely. It was it was it was a definite fun yeah. time. But uh, you let's were, talk about you were a fast learner 
like you picked up offside after a couple of days. (laughs) It was hard. It was definitely hard. Um, But that was that was the genius of being able to just sit in your office like everybody would leave and you just uh, grab the chalk and like, all right, uh, here's what in. Here's what uh what uh you know intentional offsides is. Here's a- <laughs> All right, uh, a little hyperbole, I think. Yeah. Um, it was funny you were talking about Rimmer though, and he 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 did he like I I was obviously very young, what twenty one years old, and you know intimidated, and you know you you know it's funny when you're young and you realize the people that that didn't treat you like a kid that treated with you yeah. respect, you yeah. know. And Jeff was always one of them. You, Brian Murray. Uh, you know Chuck Fletcher, people like that. It yeah. just uh, it was it was it was a fun time covering the league. Uh, you know, I'd have to get admonished every now and then by John Van Beesbrook, who oh, didn't yeah. like the way I wrote. Well, we all we all went through that. I mean, when I would yeah. play him, he'd be mad, wouldn't speak to me. But, <laughs> but listen, R- Rimmer is like imagine like I I spent twenty some years in the NHL, and other than my time, well, St. Louis and Detroit, I didn't have. Him. I ran into him first of all. Well, didn't have him in St. Louis and then ran into him in Washington. He was like this TV flunky. He was like the extra guy there that was running around with a toupee on his head. I mean, and I'm thinking, who's this weirdo with the toupee on his head? Like, and he was like this. uh, Anyway, he became he was a baseball guy in Baltimore who wanted to be a hockey guy because he he knew some of the Montreal Canadiens. He was dropping names even then. So. All of a sudden, then we go to Florida. He's in Florida when I get there. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. And then then we have the lockout, and Florida won't pay him. So he phones me every day in Columbus because I'm the president. Would I hire him because they won't pay him? They're giving him, like, 200 bucks a week. So I said, oh. I, and he drove me crazy. So finally, I had to hire him in Columbus just so he could feed Farrell and the kids, you know? <laughs> but anyway, he sort of hung around. And t- to this day, I get a call every morning from him at 8.30. What's up? What's happened? I'm thinking, Jeff, nothing really is happening. I'm not in the league anymore. I mean, I just do it. I mean, there's nothing happening, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, it's it's just unbelievable. But anyhow, yeah. He's, a good he's the reason why I turn off my ringer at night because between him and my mother, they call me at like six AM. They have no identify oh, uh, right. like uh they have never looked at the wild schedule where I am. Like I could be in California, phone will ring at four AM. I live at the beach here down, you know, and, and he says he lives in Delray, but he really lives in Boynton Beach. But he tells everybody he lives <laughs> in Delray because, you know, I mean, seriously, you know the difference between Delray and Boynton Beach, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. And he tells everybody he's well, I'm in Delray. No, no, Jeff, you're in Boynton Beach. So I go to see his new house. It's twenty-five minutes from my place, straight out Atlantic. And when you get to the Everglades and you see like an alligator pop his head out, you take a right and he's right there. Like it's the last house before you get to the actual Everglades. Like seriously, I mean, and he's, and he says he lives in Delray. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Do you remember when he had the racket? And I'm not saying anything that I shouldn't because he, we talked about it on my podcast with him a couple of weeks ago. Um, when he had the racket where he was like, everybody would get their free direct TV from him. Yeah. They would like, they'd oh. go to his house at Carl Springs. They'd bring like a card. He'd get it like zapped and then you put it in yours. Oh, he, like had the guy, he had the guy in Toronto <laughs> that used to do the deal for him. Yep. And of course yep. he would have been making money off it. You know, no, yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. So let's talk about 2000, um, uh, uh, Doug, and frankly, how the Blue Jackets got screwed. I mean, first of all, 
<laughs> 2000, the Wild and Blue Jackets are the four, third and fourth of, of four expansion teams coming in three years apart. So right away, uh, you know, teams are essentially picked thin of talent. So you get an expansion draft that you look at some of the names and years later, none of us even know who some of these people are. And it starts off with uh, at the Meadowlands in 2000 in June, there's a flip of the coin. And whoever wins the gets the flip of the coin, they're going to get the first pick, the the third pick in the entry draft. Not even the first pick, mm. but the at least pick above the other. And the other one would get the first pick in the expansion draft. And of course, Minnesota wins the the coin toss, picks third in the expan in the entry draft. You get a meaningless first pick in the expansion draft, and you guys wind up taking Rusty Klesla instead of Marion Gabrick. Well, it was really, uh, I was so disappointed in that. I'm telling you, I was, I was, I thought, what a way to start. First of all, picking <laughs> three and four was a freaking joke. It was a freaking yeah. joke. I was so pissed off about that. And, and, you know, but you don't think of it then because you're, hey, you're just happy to be there. And, but it was ridiculous, especially as you said, where there was four expansion teams or what, three or so before us. And so anyway, we get the third. And I, I'll never forget the middle of the night, that first draft. I, we desperately wanted Gabbard. Donnie Boyd, our chief scout, and, and I, we sat in a restaurant in Slovakia talking to him. We, they loved, they loved Marion Gabbard. My staff did. And, you know, he, he was our guy. So in the middle of the night, I get a call 2 30 in the morning. The Islanders are taking Di Pietro. Okay. So we're getting one of, you know, obviously Gabbard, Heatley. Heatley. Or, or Rusty. And, you know, Rusty Custer was a, he was a tough. And then I got a call at four in the morning. What else leaning? He may take Klesla, which meant we were getting Heatley or, or Gabrick. And it just went back and forth all night. And then we get there and obviously the draft goes the way it is. Di Pietro goes one. And then, you know, all of a sudden, Hey, we were happy to get Rusty. Uh, he, he certainly, I thought he would have become a lot better player. He's really highly, highly regarded. He did play 12 years in the NHL, quality kid, but Gabrick was a dynamic guy. He really was. So it was, that was disappointing. And then the expansion draft, we did a deal, you know, because we had the first pick, we did a deal with Buffalo to get uh, Jeff Sanderson with our, with our pick. And it was really a trade that was done with us. And uh, we got Jean-Luc Grandpierre. Jeff Sanderson and another kid Davidson for the in a in a deal. So, you know, that for not taking whoever. So it was kind of a weird draft. I mm. had already done a deal with Tugnut and Mark Denny before the expansion draft. I had that done, and that was I did a second round pick, but it was hadn't been announced, but I did a second round pick with Colorado for Mark Denny, and I had signed Tugnut under the table as an unrestricted free agent. And it wasn't going to be enough. So I had to waste all the goalie picks in that draft. Every time I went to a goalie, I just said, okay, yeah, I'll take so-and-so. Because we ended up with your guy as one of our picks. Yeah, Rollison, And right? he ended up playing in St. John in the American League. And, uh, and then, you know, going to with you guys and having a real good career. So it was just a, a bunch of wasted picks. And that was the frustration of that draft. And, and Riser would be the same thing. It was like we took yeah. picks that we didn't want because they were exposing such garbage to us. It was unbelievable. And then, and then the Bill Daly calls us down halfway through the draft and gives us shit because we're, you know, we're making a mockery. So, well, no, no, you guys made the mockery of it with your rules, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was the thing you were taking just like sort of fake picks throughout. Oh, yeah. Well, we're taking guys. I took uh, Snyder 
because, you know, his, his contract, he was making, you know, unrestricted free agents. That's where they blew it. They, they didn't check us on the unrestricted free agency. You know, you can't, you can't take them. But in those days, we, you know, but we took a bunch of unrestricted free agents. But you know what? It, it ended up, we, it was a fun year and, and everybody, I never, I, my owner thought we won the Stanley Cup because we finished ahead of Minnesota in year one. Like it was like the biggest <laughs> accomplishment in the history of hockey. You know, I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> <laughs> seriously did it have you ever th- i mean like you know i'm sure you're i mean i know you're well bassist right it's 21 years later but you know how that just one flick of the wrist by bill daly determined the fates of two franchises i mean they get gabrick you get klesla and how things might have changed you know what I, I i don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it but i i certainly did for a few years because gabrick became a star in the league i mean this guy was dynamic and he was he, he just he he was a guy you could really build your group around because he was so fast and so, so. But you know what, Doug did a good job, and and you know who did a marvelous job. And I, they they hired Lemaire, um, and I, and then I sort of my decision on coaching what came down to two guys, Dave Tippett or Dave King, and I went with Dave Tippett, or I went with Dave King because Minnesota had hired. Jock Lemaire and I thought you know comparable type style coaches but Jock Lemaire did an unbelievable job with that team I, I'll tell you what it, it nobody liked the way they played everybody thought they were boring but you know what he did a hell of a job uh, and I think the teams were basically comparable and I think I think Jock Lemaire was the difference I really believe that he he was that good a coach and people hate it, it eventually it, it it wore out, but I mean, this guy was way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time. Poor, uh, poor Dave Tippett. I didn't realize because wasn't he the runner up to Jacques here too? Well, I don't know, but he was a runner up. And, and I remember going, Mr. McConnell met both of them, King and Tippett. And he mm-hmm. said to me, I would hire Tippett. That's what Mr. McConnell said to me. And he was like 76 at the time, Mr. McConnell, but he liked Tippett's style. And I loved Dave Tippett. I really, really did. Yeah. And then yes. the next time I'm interviewing, a number of years later, I got a I got a decision to make between Hitchcock and Andy Murray. Okay, those were the two finalists for the job. Years years later, and I met Mr. McConnell with them, both of them, Mr. McConnell and and JP the son and Mike Priest met the three of them, and Mr. McConnell said to me, "I would hire Andy Murray," and I mm-hmm. hired Hitchcock. And I said, no, we got to go with Hitchcock because he's won a Stanley Cup. We got to go with Hitchcock. And then I read Portsline Nay Race wrote for five years later that I was forced to hire Hitchcock. No, you idiots. I I was the idiot that said, I'm taking, I'm taking Hitchcock. Not the, the old man said he wanted Murray. And then I read, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And the other thing, I, they, you, they couldn't wait to write how I fired Dave King because I wanted to coach. Oh yeah, right. We lose at home 5 nothing to Nashville. 11 o'clock at night, I get a call from Mr. McConnell. Fire the coach tomorrow morning. I said, Mr. Mack, who, who's going to coach? You are. You're going to coach. I said, I'm already the president of the gym. doesn't matter. You're coaching. He thought I was running like a peewee triple A team, you know? Like, <laughs> seriously. Anyway. And they couldn't. Oh, yeah, I fired King because he wanted to coach. Yeah, oh, my God. 
Anyway, but, fun. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast, now you'll know, like, so last June when when uh, Portsline and I teamed up to write the 2000, like, we did a series on 2000 expansion draft, 2000 entry draft. Now you know why I interviewed Doug McLean and Portsline interviewed Doug Reisbrow for those stories. But, Port, but Portsline <laughs> had a great quote uh, this way. Apparently, he listens to Real Kipper at noon, he, and, and he had a great quote to somebody uh, recently because Kipper got it. He said, Doug McLean, the GM would hate Doug McClain, the media guy. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought I had to give Portsline credit, like even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. (laughs) That is a great line. Um, (laughs) That is a really good line. Portsline's witty. Uh, I haven't uh, talked to him in 10 years, so I don't know how witty. (laughs) That's like Risebrow with me. uh, That's so bad. But I get a kick out of it. It's not, you know what? It's, it's, it's just, you just, I don't run into them. So it's, it's fun. I, you know, it's no big deal, you know? Yeah. Um, let's, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about this league right now. Um, you know, trade deadlines coming up April 12th. Um, by the way, uh, I do want to ask you this because you brought up Hitchcock. Somebody did ask me, I have a bunch of Twitter questions. Somebody asked me, what's your best, uh, Hitchcock story from, uh, from Columbus, you know what's really funny about this question? So I'm interviewing Brad Shaw yesterday, or two days ago, yeah. uh, the assistant coach with the Columbus Blue Jackets now, coincidentally. And sh- I'm doing this big feature on Ian Cole. And so my favorite point of the interview with Brad Shaw is he starts impersonating the things that Ian, that Hitchcock used to say to Ian Cole on the bench in St. Louis. Yeah. And it was just hysterical. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, like, what's your, fa- what's your funniest Ken Hitchcock well, story in Columbus? Well, Hitch comes as the head coach. And he's making 900000 because I had to pick up the last year of his deal from Philly, okay? Mm-hmm. So we go out to dinner, and in, 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 it's the first road trip. And we go out to dinner, and, of course, Rimmer, Billy Davidge, George Matthews, all of, and the assistant coaches all go out to dinner. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm taking a break. They used to always want to come with me because I picked up the tab, you see? So I always had mm-hmm. the group with me because they knew, oh, Doug's picking up the tab. I'm going to dinner with him. They couldn't wait to ask me where I was going to dinner. So they all go with Hitchcock. And Hitchcock's sitting at the head of the table. And he's ordering. He's, okay, what what do you, would you like? And he's ordering it for everybody and helping everybody. And people are like, oh, this is great. Then the bill comes and Hitch goes, okay, David, you owe twelve ninety five. George, you owe eight ninety five. dollars Rimmer. You owe sixteen. Of course, he thought he was getting a free meal, so he ordered more than anybody. You owe eighteen ninety five, Rim. So I thought, oh my god! <laughs> so I got a kick out of it. You know, I got along good with Hitch. I I got it. He did a good job. I. Uh, but listen, you got to hear this story. The time I get fired, okay? Have you heard the day I get fired? The story in Florida or Columbus. Columbus. No, no. So I go to this big meeting and I get told a week before that, or two or three nights before that John P. McConnell and I were telling, he said, Doug, you're safe. You're, you know, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be fine. So I go to this meeting. It's got all the owners sitting around the table at the golf course and, and Hitchcock is invited to the meeting. So he's there. And my CFO who's still with the blue jackets, because we were talking budget and plan for next year. So I go through the whole thing. Hitch is sitting there. Mr. McConnell sitting there, the other couple of minority owners. And then they finally say to me, uh, Doug, would you mind leaving the room? I said, what? Would you mind leaving the room? I leave the room and Hitch stays in the room with the owners. Okay. 
I go in and sit in the bar at the golf club with my CFO. And an hour, 15 minutes later, Mike Priest comes in and said, Mr. McConnell want, wants to see you. I go back in. All of them snuck out the back door of the golf course. Hitch and the other owners all left. It's just me and Mr. McConnell sitting there. And he said, I'm, uh, I'm going to fire you because the media doesn't like you. And I said, what? He said, yeah, I'm going to fire you because the media don't like you. I said, oh, don't, don't like you. I said, oh, okay, great. I don't know what the hell happened in there, but I wasn't in there. <laughs> So pretty bizarre. I don't know if I've ever told that story before, but anyway, it's kind of yeah, kind of funny. It's very different in Florida. Like remember, like remember your your fired firing press conference that you had at Runyon's, yeah. right? If I remember in uh, Carl Springs, yeah. And and David Neal, Brian DeGain, and I come and we were like devastated that you were fired. Yeah. And you like thanked us during the press conference, which I couldn't believe. Um, like it's just funny how things change, right? I don't know. Yeah, it was, it, it was sort of, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I look, I had had so much fun in Floyd. It was like such a positive thing. And then, and then I watched the first game after I got fired and they win like nine, seven with Brian coach and then Murph <laughs> comes on TV and said, Oh, we've opened up our game so much. And then I'm thinking, okay, Murph. Okay. Be careful what you say. <laughs> then they lost like 25 in a row after. <laughs> and end up with the worst. That was unbelievable that season. Like if they lost 20, I think they lost 17, 18 in a row after no, that. Yeah, well, I can tell you exactly because I looked this up the other day because I was trying to figure out the Buffalo Sabres and what they were doing. So in January, they had a 10-game winless streak, including a eight-game winless streak on the road. Yeah. Okay. Then they win three in a row, and then they have a 13-game losing streak in a 15-game winless streak. So they had a 10-game winless streak, a 15-game winless streak. And here's the kicker. If, if people don't know this, so this is 1997-98. In December that year, the Panthers are in a playoff race. They trade their first-round pick to the San Jose Sharks for Victor Kozlov and I think Alex Hicks. I was there. I was there when that trade yeah. was made. Oh, okay. So you were still the coach. Yeah. Okay. So then they, what happened is the Wild have the Panthers, the Panthers have a just horrendous second half yeah. they finished second worst in the league win the lottery but they traded their first round pick to san jose right. who afterwards sent it to tampa right that first round pick that would have turned into vincent lacavia oh, no, so the panthers essentially traded vincent lacavia to their cross-state rival who wins a cup five years later and i i was sitting there when we made the deal you know when we brought in victor because again it came back to how small we were at center okay and you know the the thought process well we'll get cause up and it's going to help us i mean i think he'd get hurt i don't know i only coached him three games after he came yeah and uh and then but you know it's really interesting that is a story that i had in my book that whole how that but isn't it bizarre like i read constantly about me making a mistake in the draft and picking the wrong guy in the draft and all this that has i don't recall that ever being brought up with respect to Brian Murray ever. Yeah. You, you know why it's, it's so crazy. Like I tell this story all the time, right. all the time. I know. And people like think I'm wrong. And I think the reason why is because people just, just forget the fact that they, like they almost blame it on San Jose that they traded then the first round pick to, right. to Tampa. And if you look, if you actually follow, connect the dots online, it's not very clear that Florida won that lottery and originally had that right. pick. 
But it was amazing to me that for years that nobody was trashing the Panthers, I, that they essentially traded LeCavier to, to their cross-state rival. I know. It's so bizarre. And I did a whole thing on it in the book and I because, you know, I broke it down all right. The other, you know, how the draft has changed so dramatically. I was telling somebody the other day, Ken Dryden was actually drafted by the Boston Bruins. And he didn't find, and then trade it right after the draft to Montreal Canadiens. And he didn't find out for 10 years after the draft that wow. he had originally been drafted by Mon- by Boston because it was a private draft. Nobody knew who took who, you know, or or what had happened originally. So Dryden finds out 10 years after he was drafted by Boston that he was traded to Montreal right after the draft for two guys that never played a game in the NHL. So it's kind of, there's so many amazing draft stories. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I can't. I hope that book. I know that it's it is a painstaking exercise. Yeah. Trust me, I know writing, but I hope that book eventually comes out yeah, because I fun. can't wait to. Uh, I can't wait to read it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, Doug, uh, by the way, if you are not an athletic subscriber, uh, as as you just heard in that uh, in that little hit, uh, now's the time to get in. You, we have podcasts everywhere, not just Doug McClain's this week, but Drew Doughty, the LA Kings, joined Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBron on Two Man Advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show on Wednesday. And I heard that uh, Jeff Domet, our producer here, is also the producer for that show. And I heard that that podcast was absolutely sensational. And uh, Glenn Healy, the executive director of the NHL alumni, spends the full 60 with Craig Custance. Uh, also here today on Thursday on The Athletics, so highly recommend that. Uh, before we talk about uh, today's day and age, we, uh, Doug, we met, uh, we've mentioned him a couple times, the late, great uh, Brian Murray, uh, you know, gave, it brought you, I think, to Detroit as well, brought you to Florida. Um, am I right on on, on that sequence? Brought me to, that, brought that's me to, how you uh, were in Detroit? Me in Washington, then okay. went to Detroit with him, and then to Florida. So we were together 10 years. Yeah. And I, you know, he was somebody like, I look at him in a lot of ways like you. I mean, he really, like, I look back at those first three years of me covering the league as really as, I mean, oh, we joked about it, me not knowing offsides and icing, but it was a, it was a learning ex- experience to learn how to be a beat writer, to sit down with coaches, professional coaches, not just high school and college coaches, but professional coaches, professional GMs, and learn the game, learn about trades, learn about free agency. It's, it's a big learning experience. And, um, and Brian always treated me, you know, he'd, he'd have his temper, but the second he would let you have it, he would be over it. It was like, he just had to get it out and then he'd be over it. But it was really, I mean, it was just so sad when he passed away a couple years ago, um, you know, from cancer. Well, you know what? I, I don't have a, I don't have an NHL. I was a two year assistant coach in St. Louis when he hired me in, in Washington as an assistant coach. And I wouldn't have had an NHL career if it wasn't for Brian Murray. No, no doubt about that. It would have been one and done in St. Louis. And I had met him when I was 18 years of age playing junior hockey and in Ottawa. He was the, the all-star coach, and I happened to make the all-star team. And that's my first time I ran into Brian Murray was he was the all-star coach, and I played two games for him. And then the next thing I heard, he had recommended me for a Hockey Canada scholarship Um which was a four-year free ride for uh, for a Canadian college player. So that's we started our relationship, and then we lifelong friends. And uh, yeah, it was it was a sad, 
a sad mm. time. And Brian and I would get together over the years and just laugh our asses off because we had so many yeah. great times together over those 10 years and all the trials and tribulations. It was, it was tough. Yeah. It's Good such man. a different time. It, yeah, it was incredible. Like I think about how many times on the road I would get together with Brian Murray for dinner or sit yeah. with him at the bar. Yeah. And you'd think that his disciple, Chuck Fletcher, would be the same way. I bet you I can count on like one, two fingers the amount of times I grabbed a drink with uh with Chuck Fletcher during his nine years as GM here. It's just nope. uh it's pretty pretty crazy like that. Brian's first um, first thing he'd say to me after a game, he'd come down, he because he was a coach. Gotta remember, Brian first was a coach, yep. GM saying so. He'd always come into my office after the game if we lost. And he, his, his, how he'd always, maybe I don't know anything about hockey, but what the <laughs> hell was that? That's how he used to start it off. Maybe I don't know anything about hockey, but why would you do that? That's how he'd start it. <laughs> he was he was he was very candid that's for sure um i used to i mean one reason why gms are not allowed to go to the ref's room is because of brian murray yeah. he would after almost every loss we would walk right by him and he would be just unleashing on the referees outside the ref's room at miami arena it was just unbelievable and now you're not allowed to do it anymore Paul, Paul Fenton got the organization fined a gazillion bucks because he was warned not to, and then he did it like a day later here in uh, Minnesota. So Yeah, it was funny. He was a great man. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about uh, today's uh, NHL. Um, you know, First of all, the Buffalo Sabres, they finally win a game. Uh, Kevin Adams, a guy you traded for in Columbus, if I remember correctly, Trade, right? Traded him away. Oh, traded him away to, to Florida, or am I totally to, wrong on uh, that? You, I traded Kevin to Florida for Ray Whitney. Right. Yeah, uh, pretty good trade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I I loved uh, covering both of them, uh, but uh, man, Kevin's a class act. But anyway, um, you know, Sabers finally win a game. Um, what do you see going on there? And and uh, I mean, it's just it's just pr just the losing culture that they have in that organization, and it's sort of like the chicken and the egg. Is Jack Eichel for real, or is he part of that losing culture? Well, look, it's it's interesting. You know, I've watched him a little bit lately, and you know, you you sort of talk to people. It, it's a really challenging situation. You've got you know, you go through Timmy Murray. It, it really started when they fired Lindy Ruff and Darcy Regeer mm -hmm. ten years ago. You know, that, that was the start of this. And you bring in Timmy Murray, who Timmy worked with us in Florida. He was an inexperienced, he goes in assistant GM mm -hmm. and, and it, it, it wasn't pretty. It ended ugly. Then they bring in Botterill, another inexperienced guy. They don't have a overview, overall president of hockey ops there to oversee it. And now, you know, they bring in Kevin, who I like too, but. He's he was running their you know their rinks and their junior sabers and it's it's a tough and it and as I said to somebody the other day what Kevin is faced with today with a couple of big trades he's got to make he did stall but he's got to do haul he's got Montour there he's got the Jack Eichel situation of staring him in the face he's got a team that hasn't that lose eighteen in a row this these are these are challenges that the most experienced GM in the league would not be comfortable facing and and he's in that situation so it's it's a really tough situation it'll be interesting to see what what transpires there do they bring in some experience to help them and we'll we'll wait to see but you know I've got to believe you know they, they've got a thin staff and from a scouting perspective he's got a thin management group so 
it'll be interesting to see what happens. The Eichel thing is the number one thing. What 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 do you do with Eichel? He's got two goals. He's a franchise player. He has been very good at times. Um, there's you can't win that trade, Michael. You can't win that trade. So you you've got to just step back and say, how do we resolve the the number one situation? And that's Eichel. Like the, here's what they have. They got a franchise sentiment in Eichel, and they got a franchise defenseman in Dahlin. Those two guys have got to be fixed. That's the start. And then they got Allmark in goal, who's not a bad goaltender, who's an unrestricted free agent. So you got a you got your number one sentiment issue, number one defenseman issue, who's dropped off like a rock, and you got a goaltender who's unrestricted, who's not bad. So that's the big challenge. What do, what do you think of Eichel? Because I I, I did this um, who says no piece for tomorrow where Wild fans gave me yeah. a, a you know basically a thousand trade proposals and I brought them to three executives and yeah. every one of them uh, every one of them and I quoted a couple in there uh, probably a little more judiciously than than they actually said it just yeah. ripped him on his character and said the Wild better do the, if the Wild are one of the teams going after him that you better do your due diligence on this guy that he's had a char- you know that there's a character issue since he's 16 he's done nothing to change the perception I mean I don't know if you know all about all that but what do you think about him as a player on and off the ice and would that scare you off as a GM if you were targeting him Well you know what I I don't know him I've never met him, and I and I don't know his personality or what he's done. But I, I always think back to the Steve Eiserman situation when I was in Detroit. And let's not kid ourselves. Brian, it, he was so close to me. I went to bed. I went to bed at midnight thinking that Stevie Y was traded to the Islanders for Pat LaFontaine. And I woke up, and the trade was off. So I remember Scotty Bowman, what he said to Steve Eiserman. He said, do you want to win the scoring race or do you want to win the Stanley Cup? You make the decision which of the two you'd rather win. And I think it comes to a point with some of these franchise players is what's more important to you, winning the scoring race or winning the Stanley Cup? Ovi get it, got it, took him a while. Stevie Y certainly got it and became one of the great leaders in modern era. You know what? Those are sometimes it's tough conversations with superstars that, that have to be told and said. And I I can't comment on his character because, like I said, I don't know him. All I know is I've watched him play some games, and he's a damn good hockey player. I know that. Right. And Let me ask you, um, Min, Min, Min Wild, Min Hockey Fan 336 has a, has a good question for you, and I don't know if you um, – if you'd be you know equipped to answer this uh, right now, just being as you said semi-retired, um, but you know as a former GM, what would you feel is a reasonable return fans can expect for a 26-year-old right-shot defenseman like Matt Dumba? And the context here, um, you know, uh, Doug, if you're not familiar with, is that the Wild have Suter, Spurgeon, and Brodine on no-move clauses. So unless they're going to go the eight skater route, uh, they either have to trade Dumba or expose Dumba. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that obviously Seattle might take a player like that. So right away, as a GM, if you're Bill Guerin, your leverage isn't very good. Um, But also, I think that as Bill Guerin's finding out is that the value for Matt Dumba right now around the league, regardless, is not nearly what people thought. Like, I think Wild fans thought that he was going to be able to parlay Matt Dumba into Jack Eichel or Sasha Barkov or some number one center out there. And clearly last summer, yeah, clearly last summer, we we, offseason, we learned that that's not the case. What what is a reasonable return for a player like him? So so how you t- typically evaluate? So 
this is how I look at it. If you're a seven is a franchise player on, on a scouting scale. A seven is a franchise player. A six is an impact player. An impact player. Just a step below a franchise player. And then a five is an NHL regular. Okay? A very good NHL regular. And then a four is just a basic NHL regular. And then you go down from there to a one, a guy you don't want. So if you're going to trade an Eichel, who's a seven, let's say he's a seven, perceived as a seven, you know, you've got to get back on your valuations a seven for him or a guy that's going to become a seven or at least a six and another younger guy that can become a five plus. You know what I'm saying? So you got to get. You, you got to equal it out. And that's why it's so hard to win when you're dealing with a franchise player trade. A Dumba to me is I got him. I would have Dumba as below a, I got Dumba as a five plus. Okay. As a very good, very good NHL regular. So you've got to get, you know, a prospect, a pick that can equal that, that you're going to be able to replace him with a five plus down the road. I don't know how many do. I, I've got many right now with the best defense in the NHL by a slim margin, but I got their big four as the best defense in the NHL. And then you add in Susie and Cole, it really gives them a really good looking six. I really believe they have a chance. I believe this that they will challenge Minnesota if they play in the playoffs or uh, Vegas if they play them in the playoffs. I'm anxious to see this two game series coming up here. Minnesota's aren't Minnesota with that blue line and that, you know, Vegas has got three young guys on their back end. They got McNabb, who's okay. You know, they've got a couple of, you know, Petroangelo and Theodore, but really it's going to be fun to watch. So to me, how do you, you want, Minnie's almost like Florida. You got to have a playoff run here soon. How do you move a Dumba and hurt your team and, and could lose in the first round? I, that's a tough deal. Tough deal. You win if if you you got to also consider if you lose a Dumba, yeah, you lose them, but you gain great cap space. That's the other way you got to look at it in today's game. I absolutely agree with you. I think that it's starting to trend that way. I I could see Bill Guerin going the seven three one route, and if say Ryan Suter isn't willing to waive his no move clause, which I don't know why you wouldn't if you're Suter or Parisi because they're not getting taken by Seattle. So be the consummate pro. Be you know, it, from a PR perspective, yeah. it would be just massive here in the oh. Twin Cities if everybody knew that they helped the team like this. But regardless, just think of this: if they don't, you get six million in cap space if they're taken. That's right. And just think take. about this: what about the Tampa Bay Lightning? I mean, they're protecting Hedman, they're protecting Sergachev, they like Chernak. Do they expose McDonough and his seven million yeah. times six or whatever it is? And the only way Tampa resolved their cap problem. Is McDonough is is a valuable leader, really important guy. But for them to get their cap space, if you can't get rid of Tyler Johnson, eventually mm-hmm. he'll move out. But that would get them back to reality. And I think, I think Ronnie Francis, if a McDonough is out there or one of these guys, they're they're going to take somebody for leadership. McDonough would be yeah. terrific. I don't know about Dumba's leadership, but he, you know he, I I would be shocked if he wasn't taken. Suter, I'm not sure he'd be taken. You know, Suter may be the way to go. Expose Suter with the hope they're not taken. With the 
you know, you lose him, you lose him, but he's, yeah. he's been a valuable And he guy. would have to, again, he, yeah, he would have to agree to waive his number. That's right. And he, um, he's not probably you know, doing that. Yeah. Uh, you know, he might, if, if you just say to him, look, I know they're not taking right. it, but, uh, but, but I agree that Parisi's one that, you know, uh, I think that if Billy Guerin went to him and said, look, you know, you know, they're not taking you. So just do it, do us a favor. We'll make it very well known in the public that you helped the team, you know, that type of stuff It would help. Um, let me ask you just a couple more and then I've kept you long enough, Doug. Uh, I'm getting in the way of your golf game today. Um, uh, Ray asks, uh, w- w- I just love the like that everybody still wants Patrick Liney. What what is wrong with Patrick Liney right now in Columbus? I mean, is this just him? No, you know what? When you're a, I didn't. I I sort of talked about the trade a lot at the time, and I thought, geez, you don't move a number one centerman for a number one winger. You you, you don't do that because it, look, Columbus took them twenty years to get a number one center. 20 years. I couldn't yeah. get one. Well, the Wild haven't had one in 20 right. years. The closest so. I got was Broussard, who was a sixth overall pick. I brought in Federoff mm-hmm. to try to deal with the, the goof, yep. goofy Zherdev to try to straighten him out. That you know, And, and you know, <laughs> Sergei played great for us. But, I mean, I had Andrew Castles. I couldn't find a number one set. Then I look at Columbus and I'm thinking, okay, just a minute. They could have today Dubois, Couturier, because of that dumb Voracek deal, though they sent they sent Voracek and a, the eighth overall pick for yep. Carter, which was the craziest deal I've ever heard of in my life. When Carter had already said before the trade he was not going to come, they could have had Carlson, who was a star in Vegas, and they could have Wenberg, who was a first round pick. They could have those four centers today if they hadn't done anything. How good would they be? So Lionel's problem for me is. They don't have a sentiment to get him the puck. Domi's not mm-hmm. a sentiment. Texier's a kid. And Riley Nash is a third, fourth liner. Like, who is going to get this guy the puck? When you're a winger, he's not a guy that he's not a he's not a guy that that pushes a line. He's not one of, he's a guy that he's a shooter. And mm-hmm. you know, Torch thinks he's gonna make him into a 200 foot guy. He's never been a 200 foot guy. And if you think he's going to be a 200 foot guy, you're dreaming. He's a, he's a, he's a scorer. He's a shooter. And they don't have enough right now. They don't have the experience to get him the puck. It's, it's not good. He's got one goal in 16 games, Mike. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I'll tell you what, if uh, Kevin Fiala and Kirill Kaprizov are listening to this podcast right now, they're standing up and applauding because uh, they absolutely, that's what their problem is here. It's like, you know, we, what about, you know, what about this Kaprizov? I mean, like, am I, am I dreaming or, has everybody started to try to play the way he plays in Minnesota? Well, that is the problem. What? That's the problem. Like Zuccarello, Zuccarello only looks for him on the ice. <laughs> um, and then the problem is, is that Kirill also is sort of a pass first guy at this yeah. stage in his career. Yeah. So the amount of time, you know, what was so frustrating yesterday, like, you know, wild fans are obviously going nuts because they, he scored a great, great goal last night. Yeah. But, but I'm looking at the 18 times before that he was in a similar spot and he just doesn't shoot the yeah. puck. I mean, you know, even in better shooting positions and yeah. that's the type of thing, but man, um, that is the problem with the wild right now. They're getting, they've, out, they have a shot differential right now in the last eight games of minus one hundred two. They're getting outshot every night. They they spent they'll spend a minute in the offensive zone and just not. And then you look at the shot clock and they didn't take a shot. But you look, and, you're just like, but, what? and look at their center ice. 
is Hart. Did yeah. Hartman play center here recently for them? But, yep. But no, he's still he's second line center. I mentioned on the open of this podcast. I mean, I, um, I mean, seriously, Victor Rask is their number one center. Yeah, and Ack is a solid guy. That you know, I like Ack as a, as a solid defensive two way guy. I guess I don't know them very well because they've been so damn boring lately that I you know, and now all of a sudden I I got to I got to take that back because they're not boring anymore. They're actually fun to watch. So I said to somebody that, hey, I don't know the Minnesota. Well, they've been so damn boring for 15 years. I've never hardly watched them play. Yeah. There was a headline recently by some block or somebody that's like, believe it or not, the wild are actually worth watching. Oh no. And so I talked pretty... to a guy this morning. He said, Oh my God, they're one of the, one of the most fun teams to watch in the NHL now because of the way they're playing. And I, I'm thinking, okay, I better, I guess I better stay up late one night and watch them. Yeah. Doug, I'll ask you one last question and then let you go. Um, uh, Spokes612, uh, who's uh, one of my great giffers that I follow on Twitter. Uh, I always use him and embed his stuff on my on my uh, game stories. He says, are you going to take your RV to the state of hockey anytime soon? <laughs> oh, Jill and I did a, like, imagine we bought an RV. Eh? And so, so we go <laughs> for six weeks. We go all through Utah to the national parks and we go to Vegas. We go through Nevada and the Grand Canyon and we did 70, 200 miles. Jill only told me to F off 112 times on the trip. You know, so <laughs> Minnesota, I don't, I know this, we're going back to the cottage through the Shenandoah Valley and the, you know, up through there. In the fall, we're going to go to Oregon and do the West Coast with it for a month or so. I don't know if Minnesota's on the list. I'm not sure it is. <laughs> well, if you do come, uh, you got to let me uh, buy you a drink and uh, get together. I will actually buy, not just like uh, like Rimmer oh, yeah, would right. say. So I, I promise to be the one that, that pulls out the credit card. Rimmer buy um, if he has a gift certificate. <laughs> uh, so I go to, all right, this will be the last <laughs> Rimmer shot of the podcast. So uh, I go to Tom Reed's with him like three hockey seasons ago. Yeah. And, you know, you know, when we go to, when we, do Tom Reed on post game show? He'll like throw us fifty buck gift certificates all the time for Tom Reed. Yeah. So every time any a lot of broadcasters come to town, I'll go. You know whether it's Kenny Albert and, yeah. and Dave Maloney or or the Columbus guys, I'll bring them to Tom Reed's and use these gift certificates. And so we go there, and the bill like I have fifty bucks. It's just me and Rimmer this time. The bill comes to twenty six. Yeah. So he decides that he's going to go get a, a a Tom Reed's baseball cap to use the balance of my gift certificate. <laughs> Oh no! It's, it, it doesn't. It's nothing surprising. It, it just yeah. Anyway, but you know, it's fun. Tom Reed, by, by the way, he used to be a great guy to run into in the press box. He was always a oh, positive guy. So yeah, good people. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Hey Doug, uh, this was a ton of fun. Again, if you want to, uh, if you want to watch or listen to to, uh, to uh, Doug's podcast with Nick Kiprios, Real Kipper at noon, three days a week. Uh, great place to watch it is on YouTube as well. It's absolutely hysterical. It's as you can tell by listening to this podcast, uh, a lot of candid, candid stories from uh, Doug. So, hey, Doug, this was a ton of fun. Thanks for uh, for really, uh, in a lot of ways, taking me under your wing many, many, many years ago. You got to be super proud about that. Oh, very proud about that. Very proud. <laughs> very, very. It's one of the highlights yeah. of my career. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, hey, that is uh, Doug McLean. And again, if you uh, if you listen to this podcast, check out our comments section for each podcast episode of the Athletic app and rate subscribe to Straight from the Source on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber and you're listening in the United States, go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source. And if you are listening to us in Canada, go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source Canada to receive a subscription for just $1 per month. Amazing deal. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, bud. <laughs> <laughs>